episode 53 of the Online Chicken School podcast. Today we're going to try and solve a listener's predator issue, and then we're going to find out if Don is a biosecurity hypocrite. It's time for the Online Chicken School podcast. Whether you've been keeping chickens for years or you're just fixing to get started, we'll help you get your schooling. And now, here's the chicken tenders, Don and Susie. Hello, I'm Don, the big chicken tender. And I'm Susie, the little chicken tender. If you're interested in backyard chickens, you're in the right place. It doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of chickens out in the country or just a few somewhere in the city. This is where we share our knowledge, experience, and opinions to help you get the most out of your backyard flock. You know, there have been more than a few times that we've talked about our Facebook page mm-hmm. and the many, many benefits of <laughs> following us over there. Yes. One of the benefits is we feel liked when people like us. Well, I mean, benefits <laughs> for the listener, not benefits oh. for us. Oh, yes. There are some. And one of the things is sort of being in the know of what's going on over here before the podcast comes out. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not sure over the last week and a half or so, that was a good thing. <laughs> I know. I think we kind of freaked out our Facebook audience. Yeah. If you are following us on Facebook, you probably did have a little insight into some melodrama that was going on. <laughs> Quite a lot of drama. You want to talk about that? Well, I guess so. Our life here is chaotic and crazy. And uh, there are times when between work and my incredibly long commute and trying to keep up with household chores and running errands and, you know, just everything that goes into life. I don't know about anybody else, but I tend to get a little overwhelmed. And when I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed. And when I'm stressed, I guess I'd say I make hasty decisions. Well, and in the last podcast, we had talked about simplifying our lives and holding fewer chicken classes and mm-hmm. and making some changes to try and make it easier for us to focus on the podcast. Right. It just didn't seem like it was enough. You know, you it was c- a little bit of a Band-Aid solution and not yeah. quite the major surgery we quickly discovered we needed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Don and I had sat down and uh, I was at one of those crazy stressed out moments and just went, you know, that's it. I spend a heck of a lot of time on the podcast, and that would be a really easy one for me to drop. So you're on your own with that one. (laughs) I was just looking for any way to make the craziness stop. So Don posted on Facebook, you know, uh, you kind of posted a question, didn't you? Yeah, I was trying to figure out whether it was really worth me trying to do it on my own, because in my head, I don't think anybody's going to want to listen to my voice for an hour without (laughs) you kind of livening up a little bit. You know what I mean? Giving it some necessary color and (laughs) you're saying i'm colorful yes oh thank you well it was amazing the responses we got and although i didn't want to look at any of the responses because i wanted to just kind of stick my head in the sand and go no this is the solution um i did a couple days later go on to facebook and just the amazing comments that people made really caused me to have to sit down and reconsider um i know that there's a bunch of podcasts i listen to and if they went away i'd be pretty upset (laughs) i didn't think one of i didn't think that ours was on that list for other people well you've always you know enjoyed the podcast and cared about our listeners a great Mm -hmm. deal yeah i don't want 
anybody to get the impression that you just had this this moment of I don't care what anybody thinks and we're I'm just quitting, you no. know. But your life really has become chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get into a whole long list of the things that you go through in a week, but you know, to start off with, you drive an hour to work every day, mm-hmm. one direction, and an hour back. Right. And that's in the good time. <laughs> and we live in Florida and it's now November. Yeah. But around this time of the year, we start to see all the snowbirds come down. I swear, it at it, least doubles our traffic. Yeah. Well, the big issue with the drive time is we had always recorded the podcast in the evening after work. Right. Well, lately, Susie gets home from work, and quite rightfully so, she kind of comes in the door like a homicidal maniac. <laughs> I mean, me and the dogs all hide. Yes, I noticed that. We just realized that the way we've been doing things is not possible to keep up the pace. And I know we discussed this in the last podcast, so I don't want to spend, you know, a half hour sort of rehashing this whole thing. But, you know, we just realized after a couple of weeks that, listen, the, the, the changes we talked about in the last podcast, well, they're absolutely necessary, but they're just scratching the surface. We have to just completely revolutionize our schedule and relook at everything. And we sat down and had this big conversation over food, of course, which is always important. Yes. And literally took everything we do and put it on the table and said, do we have to do this? Do we want to do this? What's more important? Put things in a priority list. Mm-hmm. And um, Well, and Don is wonderful at spreadsheets. So before we had our sit-down meeting, he had a spreadsheet of everything that he'd come up with and that I had. And on Tanya, it was like four pages single-spaced <laughs> of just things you do. You don't realize... Like, what is eating up my time? You sit down and sometimes you can't think of it. But boy, when you start putting it down on paper, it really adds up. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we were down to the level of how often do the bathrooms need to be cleaned? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything. So my wonderful husband, in a very understanding way, sat down. We went through everything. He took, you said a little bit, you took a lot off my plate um, and took the responsibility of a lot of things so I don't have to even think about them anymore. So that's huge. So I'm in a good place. All that to say I'm in a good place. I am not homicidal anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully when I come home, you won't have to hide because every day I have a list of things that I'm doing. And I If things keep going this well, I'm not going to wear my bulletproof vest when you come home from work. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll be a that'll be an accomplishment then for our schedule, I guess. Susie is a pistol pack and mama, and she's a really good shot. <laughs> uh huh. You know, I'm glad that we managed to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing now is we've got the system, and uh, we just get about the business of getting this thing back on track. Well, and I do want to say to anybody else out there that is feeling overwhelmed and chaotic and crazy. Blame it on your husband. <laughs> That's right. And threaten to quit everything. <laughs> it works. I don't know about anybody else, but if you're kind of like me, sitting down and reevaluating everything really made a huge difference. So I know the holidays are coming up. That gets crazy. So try and figure these things out before you go crazy. All right. Well, that's enough about that. Let's talk about... Our super dog, Max. Yes. If you're new, you're wondering, you know, why did I just download this chicken podcast and all I've heard about is schedules and now they're talking about dogs. Right. Uh, We have three dogs and they are really our first line of defense, our main line of defense, as far as keeping the chickens safe on our property. Mm -hmm. You know, we have other measures in place, which we'll actually talk about a little bit later, but 
nothing is more important than the dogs in terms of keeping the chickens safe. So they really do become a key part of the podcast. They do. And we do get a lot of questions about dogs. So um, Max is the dog we've had the longest. He's what... uh, Three and a half, four years old. I really should look up his birthday. <laughs> yeah. And he's the alpha dog. He Definitely. is, uh, you know, Sadie and Gordo are other dogs. They are at different stages of awareness about what's going on in the yard. But mm-hmm. Max is really the one who pays attention the most. You can tell just watching him, he has a seriousness about mm-hmm. what goes on everywhere on the property. And he has this protective nature to keep everything away from the chickens. Yes. And, um, you know, the last couple months, we have noticed his skin would not like break out, but I guess have a reaction. Well, the way it started, you wouldn't notice he was broken out. You just notice he itches a lot. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, when you have a dog, when you see the dog itching, the first thing you think of is fleas. Right. But he has always been on a flea treatment from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you live in Florida and your dogs are outside at all, they have to be on a flea treatment because, you know, Florida, our, our soil is all sand. Mm-hmm. And plus it stays so warm most of the year. So you've got nine months of fleas just everywhere. And if you mm-hmm. don't have your dogs on a flea prevention, uh, they're going to have a flea problem. There's just no way around it. So he was always on a flea treatment. So it just... You know, but you'd see him scratching and after a while it became noticeable that during the summer he just scratches a lot. Right. And then you would notice like about a month into summer that you look at his underbelly when he'd roll over, it started to look kind of red. Mm-hmm. But through a lot of research and trying to figure stuff out, we, we sort of realized we think he has a flea allergy. It seems to line up, which I never heard of before. I know, it's terrible. But apparently this is a big issue for dogs now is that they have flea allergies. So, yeah, they can just come in contact with a flea. I think flea doesn't even have to live on the dog. It could just jump on the dog, bite the dog, jump off, and the dog will break out. And, you know, you'd notice he'd have a little breakout or he'd be itching a lot. So I would grab the coconut oil um, and rub it on his belly and that would soothe him and he'd be happy and he'd be fine again. Of course, it also turned him into like a lollipop for the other dogs because they would just... (laughs) Go lick all the coconut oil off. I know. It's like you'd have to lock him up for like a half hour after he got that application because they were immediately like licking him. It was <laughs> so funny. But it had gotten to the place where between his toes was red and raw. His belly was red and raw. Um, his face. I mean, every part of him was raw. And we were trying everything. We were trying the Benadryl. Um, the sprays, ev- fish, fish oil supplements, Oh, everything we could do, we were doing and nothing was helping. So I called the vet. She says, this is incredibly common. She goes, it's getting more and more and more common. Just like with people allergies, that's getting more common. She says, I'm seeing this all the time. Um, he did have a bad case of this. So she did took a little sample or something, looked under a microscope or whatever, and then got him on some steroids and it was a short-term uh dose you know and then you taper him off and she got him on an antibiotic so he's not all pumped up like arnold schwarzenberg <laughs> no no i told her i'm like hey listen he doesn't need to get any bigger than he is <laughs> <laughs> but um and then she gave me some shampoo and said bathe him twice a week i'm like oh my gosh you don't know max he's gonna hate that um we got him right on the pills and I, what do you think the next afternoon, that's all it took, and he was back to being Max. Yeah. 
I mean, it worked fast. Now his skin took a while to heal up and things. Um, but boy, what a process now. And trying to bathe him twice a week, that's fun. <laughs> well, and one thing we didn't mention is we had brought him in the house for about a week. You yeah. know, even though he's an outside dog, we're like, maybe we can just hide him away from the fleas, mm-hmm. you know, for a while. And it's like that helped a little bit, but it wasn't a solution because for one thing, he just looked miserable being inside. Like his personality returned. Yes. But he's just constantly like, uh, what's going on out there? I belong outside, you know. Yeah, he'd hear the other dogs bark and he'd be like, what? They can't handle that. I got to get out there. What's what's going on? Yeah, he's a he's a workaholic. Mm-hmm. Now, we did also put a cone on him. So that was oh, he didn't like that humiliating, but we didn't want him to bite anymore. So all that to say, it's been a very interesting last month with Max. All right. So that's what's going on with uh, Maximilian. (laughs) And we did have some good news this last week, which was that our Delaware hens and our buff Brahmas have started laying. Always exciting to see. Yes. We weren't expecting it, but we were out there making the rounds and opened up a nesting box and we weren't ready for them to start laying yet. We weren't expecting it. And all of a sudden, oh, there's an egg in there. Yeah, that was exciting. We figured with daylight hours getting less and less and all the other chickens slowing down, that it would actually stop them um, from starting their lay. Uh, We had that happen before, where just about when our hens were at the age that they were supposed to start laying, winter hits and they go, nope. Right. (laughs) And then it's like nine months total till you get your first egg. But boy, these girls are troopers. Of course, we've had all different size eggs, which is always fun. And a couple Yeah, the Delawares, those were the, I mean, we've seen pullet eggs before. You know, pullet is just a young hen. And pullet eggs are like those little tiny eggs that they lay their first, uh, you know, could be weeks. Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, but these are the tiniest pullet <laughs> eggs I think I've seen. I'm like, what do we do? Do we, do we get quail by mistake? I, I mean, know. These things are tiny. And then the Brahmas, though, they started out with huge eggs. Yeah, that's right. They're they're hitting the ground running there. And uh, one of theirs is a double yoker. So. Which you love. <sighs> Two for the price of one. I love when you're like getting ready to make some eggs and you're like, oh, I'll just have one. And then you crack it open. You're like, no, I'm going to have two. <laughs> well, it makes you realize it's like, why is there any egg white in there at all? Right. Why isn't the entire thing egg yolk? Yeah. What's the point of that? <laughs> <laughs> the more yolk, the better. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. It was a nice little uh, little happy point to our week. Yeah, so a lot going on here on the farm. And uh, as we kind of started at the beginning, I think we've got a new way of tackling things. And we're a week into it. And I, I think this one's going to work. So here's hoping. Yeah, a little <laughs> better farm management. Well, you asked for it. Here it is. All right, well, we received an email from our good listener, Andy, who lives in Ohio. And Andy says, Hi, Don and Susie. I've seen lots of people selling fertilized eggs online for hatching. I was wondering your thoughts about that, and how can you tell if it's fertilized without cracking it open and looking for the bullseye? Well, Andy, that is a really good question. Thank you for sending that in. Um, What do we think about people selling fertilized hatching eggs online? It's not something we do ourselves, mm-hmm. but we recently purchased fertilized hatching eggs. That's how we brought some new blood into our Bardrock line. And um, 
you know, we've never done that before. We'd always gone and like bought live chicks. Right. Either in person, which is our preference, or online and had them shipped here. And I'm trying to remember why we did the hatching eggs. It's because, you know, we had discovered this farm up in northeastern Florida. A little too far for us to drive. As crazy <laughs> as we are, we'll drive a long time to look at baby chicks. But that was probably, let's see, that's probably a three and a half hour drive from at here. At least, at least. That was a little too far for us to drive just to pick up some baby chicks. And they were selling hatching eggs. They had a really good reputation as a farm. And uh, said, yeah, we want to just incorporate the blood of their line into our barred rocks. So we ordered some fertilized hatching eggs. And the first thing you need to know about this, Andy, is that they have a very, very low hatch rate. Yeah, we're not talking, oh, maybe you'll get 50%. We're talking 20, 25%. And if you've ever hatched your own baby chicks or gotten hatching eggs locally, Mm -hmm. you'd probably be surprised by that because, um, you know, normally you're probably in the 50%. That's that's some of our lowest hatching rates. Some mm-hmm. of our some of our birds have about a 50% hatching rate, uh, but we have other birds that have an uh, 85-90% hatching right. rate, which that is amazing yes, for yes. an incubator. I mean, that's like what the chicken gets when she sits on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's not common. Uh, but 50%, is probably at the low end of the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, once the hatching eggs get shipped through the mail, <laughs> uh, expect way down to like maybe 20, 25, 30%. Right. So there's a downside, which is a much, much lower hatch rate. But one of the upsides of having hatching eggs sent to you is that when you hatch them yourself, they don't then have to travel two days through the mail. They hatch, they dry off, you stick them in the brooder, they start eating and drinking immediately. So they really have a better start, I think, than ordering chicks through the mail that sometimes don't eat for two or three days. There's really no problem with baby chicks going through the mail, but it is not the same as when they come out of the egg, they go to the brooder, and that same day they discover food, they discover water and start drinking. Mm-hmm. I've definitely noticed a difference in the growth rate of the ones that are hatched here and put in the brooder the same day, as opposed to the ones we've had mailed here and have spent two or three days in the mail. Mm-hmm. So to answer the first part of your question, Andy, we have no issue at all with uh, buying fertilized eggs online. Just like everything else, you kind of want to know who you're dealing with. Give them a call, talk to them on the phone if you can, and sort of feel them out a little bit and just see if you have a comfortability with them. Or are they just somebody who thought, hey, it'd be a great idea. I got chickens. I'll just start collecting the eggs and putting them in the mail and shipping them places. And I could make a little money that way. Mm-hmm. So you got to know your source. Obviously, you want to get them from someplace good and not someplace bad. But as far as the theory itself, we have no issues with it. You just really have to be aware of that low hatch rate. Because if you look at people that ship these on a regular basis, they, they put on their website in about 400 different places that the hatch rate is really, really low. Right. And yet that's their first complaint. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, you know, you sold me defective eggs. I only got like a 25% hatch rate. It's like, okay, it only says on the website 45 different times. That's about normal. Mm-hmm. That's right. So you just got to be aware of that part. Now, the second part of your question was about being able to tell if the egg is fertilized or not. And you mentioned, you know, cracking the egg open and looking for the bullseye. For those of you who don't know what that means, when you crack open an egg... The hen's genetic material sits on the outside of the yolk. And if the egg is not fertilized, 
it can be a little difficult to find because it's just this little cloudy mass. Uh, actually, it looks like a little cloud. Mm-hmm. It's just no, not any, uh, it's like faded edges, like feathered edges. So it, it blends in really well. and You have to hunt for it. Right. There's if, no definition to it at all. Exactly. That's if the egg is not fertilized. Now, if the egg is fertilized, it turns from that cloudy mass into a nice tight circle with very hard edges and a ring around it. So it looks like a bullseye. Mm-hmm. And that's what you say when you see it. You're like, bullseye. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that rooster is getting his job done. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, because that's exactly what it means. It means that the rooster is doing what he's supposed to do. And now the hen will lay fertilized eggs for usually two to three weeks after the last time she was with the rooster. So, you know, you crack one egg, you can't hatch it now. But now you know that the egg you get tomorrow, the one you get the next day, the one you get the day after that, is fertilized and you can start putting those in the incubator. Mm-hmm. Well, and you don't want to take those eggs that you paid like 3 to $5 a piece for and right. start cracking them open. You're just like cha-ching out the window. Yeah, you just spent $5 <laughs> to crack open an egg that you bought and had shipped to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that you would want to do as far as if you're going to have them shipped to you, um, you're just going to take it on faith. Right. You know, if if you have a zero hatch rate, well, that means either the eggs were not fertilized or there was something really went wrong in shipping. Yeah, because they can get bounced around quite a bit. Yeah, depending on how good your mail carrier is. <laughs> the only other way to tell if an egg is fertilized is to put it in the incubator. Now, once you put it in the incubator, eh, somewhere, I'm trying to remember, in the six, seven day, five, six, seven day mark, you can then take the egg out and candle it and which is basically putting a really strong light behind it. And then you can start to see if there's development in the egg. Personally, we don't do the candling thing. We should really talk about that sometime. I don't want to go into it now, but we should talk about why we don't candle yet. Everybody mm-hmm. seems to be obsessed with candling eggs. <laughs> yeah. Um, we need to make a note of that. But um, so you can, by candling, sort of figure out if it started to develop. And if it started to develop, then obviously it was fertilized. And if you're not going to candle like we do not, then you're going to have to basically wait the three weeks and see if they hatch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what we did with the ones we ordered is we just took it on faith that they were fertilized because I didn't want to spend $5 cracking one open. Right. And then put them in the incubator and wait three weeks. And (laughs) ours was a little more complicated because when we did get the box, three of the eggs were broken. Oh, my gosh. It was a mess. So there's $15 gone. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I thought, well, you got all this broken egg material in there. I don't know when it happened, but it's very likely that the rest of the eggs are contaminated. And so even though I took it on faith that they're fertilized, I don't know if they're all destroyed. You know, they could have been easily uh, infested with bacteria from the broken eggs. And now I'm going to sit and wait for three weeks to find none of them (laughs) hatch. But thankfully, that didn't happen. We had a a 25% hatch rate, which I was amazed at. Yeah, we, we went out on the day that they were supposed to start hatching, and I'm like, looking in there with a flashlight, please, let's see a little pip mark. Let's see a little hole saying that some activity is going on, and then we'd see one or two, and whew, that, that was a relief. Well, Andy, thanks so much for the question. We hope that helps, and let us know if you end up getting some hatching eggs. Okay, we also received an email from Kim, who lives right here in Florida. Kim says, our flock went downhill real fast this week. Predator got to them. That really stinks. That's a bad week. We're looking into measures to create a more secure protection before our brooding chicks go out. The coop is secure with hardware mesh, but we let them out in the paddock during the day, and that's where they've been gotten. 
This paddock has fencing to keep them in, but is really too big to reasonably hardware mesh it, and we wanted them to have the room to roam. If we were to do electric fencing, do you have a recommendation of how to set that up or what products to use? What type of dog breed is good for guardian dog? I know the standard ones listed online, but I'm being told one or two that I've seen are miserable in Florida's heat. Any recommendations? Any other farm animals good for protecting the flock that won't eat them? <laughs> other than keeping them constantly caged, is there anything else you would recommend that will minimize the predators? Well, Kim, let me start off by saying, really sorry that this happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just, you know, going out and finding that something got to your chickens. That has a way of putting a really dark cloud on your week. It does. Yeah. Especially when, you know, you've spent so much time, energy and money raising them. That's not something you ever want to happen. But unfortunately, it does quite a bit. All right. So you got a lot of ideas going on there in your email. And I really want to kind of focus on the paddocks. For those who aren't sure what a paddock is, a little different than your conventional chicken run. A run is typically a little smaller area. And because it's smaller, it's sort of easier to fence in and put a roof on it and uh, provide better protection from predators. A paddock is something that's a little more of a wide, free-ranging option. You know, it's a big area that's typically fenced in. But as Kim mentioned, you're not going to run hardware cloth around a really big area because uh, you'd have to take out like a second and third mortgage on your home to do it. Yeah, no kidding. That stuff is not cheap. Now, the nice thing about having a paddock system is that your chickens are really getting a lot of free-ranging opportunity there. You know, they've got a lot of space to run. You know, they can kind of go find the morsels they like to eat the best. And the thing we like best as a chicken owner is that you just like to look out and see a flock running around sort of free. It just makes you feel good. Right. It's like the way it's supposed to be. Exactly. But, as you've discovered, the major downside of a paddock is the security issue. It is very, very difficult to protect your chickens in a paddock system from predators because, you know, you mentioned the electric wire thing. You could run electric wire around it, but you have to think about all the different sizes of predators that you're going to be running into. Uh, depending on what kind of fence you have, you know, you're going to have to have low wires for the raccoons. You're going to have to have higher wires for the wolves and foxes. It's not as simple as running one strand around the outside. You also mentioned the dog thing. That is definitely an option. Obviously, we do that here, but it's not a quick fix option. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not something that like, you know, if you lost a couple hens today and you don't want to lose some this afternoon, you can just go find a dog and throw them out there and hopefully they don't eat the chickens. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not a quick solution to a problem. Really, if... If I was in your shoes, what I would focus on is developing a more conventional run for them to play in when you're not home. Right. That way they still get the benefit of being on grass, being out in the fresh air, but they are protected. And when you come home, you let them out, they run around, you're outside. So it's a little less likely that like a coyote is going to come walking into your yard and snatch one of your chickens. And that's another reason that all of our chicken coops are chicken tractors. Right. We like the fact that you can move the entire assembly around the yard. It is completely closed in. It's got enough space, which is, you know, for us, a minimum of 10 square feet per bird. It's enough space for them to stay in there full time. But because it keeps moving, you always keep fresh grass under them. And so you always maintain that free ranging benefit that you would get 
in a paddock system, but mm-hmm. you get all the security of an enclosed run. Right, definitely. So that's the first thing. I'm not sure how easy that is for you to set up if you can't kind of just jump to a chicken tractor right away. I would maybe build an enclosed run on the side of your coop that you can have them in when you're not there. And then when you come home, you can let them out because you're around. Right. So let's go back to the dogs a minute and talk about that. You mentioned livestock guardian animals. You've got like your Great Pyrenees, your Anatolian Shepherds. And I'm with you. When I saw what a Great Pyrenees was, I went, oh my gosh, that dog is going to be miserable in Florida. Right. (laughs) That long hair just looks hot. And when we went and picked out Gordo, who is a cross between a Great Pyrenees, an Anatolian Shepherd, and a Plot Hound, we actually purposely picked the puppy that looked like it had shorter hair like the Anatolian Shepherd mom. Um, there were other puppies that looked like they were just going to be weighted down with fur. And we just we we just felt bad. <laughs> yeah, you could tell they had the Pyrenees hair. Oh, yeah, they sure did. Yeah, they got that Christopher Lloyd mad scientist hair going in every direction. Mm-hmm. Well, and does that mean you can't have a Pyrenees in Florida no. and have them, you know, be happy? No, you absolutely can. But I think in the hottest part of the summer, you're going to have to have them inside to help them deal with the heat. Mm-hmm. And if they're staying even part of the day inside, well, you're. what's their point as a guardian animal? They can't guard your flock from inside the house. And they probably will be itching to get outside because a livestock guardian dog, that's their whole job is to be out with the flock or out with the sheep or out with, you know, whatever livestock you have. And then you bring them inside away from what they're supposed to be protecting. I got to imagine that's going to drive them a little nuts. Yeah, because... True livestock guardian breeds, they don't live in the house with the master and then they go out on their shift to watch over the animals. True livestock guardian breeds work best when they literally live full time with the animals they're supposed to be guarding because that's how they bond with them. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Now, you were asking all the right questions because you asked about livestock guardian animals, but you asked, does it have to be a dog? Mm -hmm. No, it does not have to be a dog. One of the better livestock guardian animals out there is actually a donkey. Yes. Every once in a while, Don will bring this up when we're having a conversation about predators and things. And he really wants to get a donkey one day because they really are amazing at protecting your property and your livestock. When I used to bring them up before I spent any time around donkeys, I just go, well, these guys are really good at their job. They blend in. You've never seen a donkey eat a chicken. Right. It doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, They're reasonably low maintenance. You know, people always point to the fact they're no maintenance. That's not technically true. They they do have some maintenance involved, but you need to have land to do it. This is not something you're going to do in a residential neighborhood where you've got a quarter acre lot and, you know, four chickens. You're not going to have a donkey. Yeah. You think roosters are annoying? Um, (laughs) Have a donkey start going nuts. That would really uh, make your neighbors happy. Yeah. They're pretty noisy, aren't they? Yeah. Donkeys, yeah. So to answer your question about the dogs, I don't think you necessarily have to have a livestock guardian dog specifically. All of our dogs are mutts and they're protective of the property. They may not so much be protective of the chickens specifically, but by protecting the property, they are in essence protecting the chickens. Exactly. So you just want a dog that is really protective of his territory. Or her. Or her territory. 
So that's something to consider when you are kind of tackling the dog front is, you know, again, you read the forums and everybody's all livestock guardian dog, but it doesn't have to be done that way. Just keep in mind, if it's not a livestock guardian breed, you may also have to protect the chickens from the dog. And again, that's where having a, a protected run area or the best option would be a chicken tractor mm-hmm. that is predator proof. That'll protect them from the dog as well. Right. So to us, that's the best way to go. Well, Kim, again, sorry about the loss of your uh, chickens. We hope that you're able to solve this problem. Let us know what you end up deciding to do. All right, we got a couple nice reviews this week. And the first one comes from KB Rube. And she says, I'm not sure why I was surprised. There were multiple chicken-related podcasts when I searched. Well, with all the topics people seem to amazingly find an audience for these days, but I was pleasantly surprised and downloaded several different ones this week. My enthusiasm quickly waned. So many of them were like listening to bad cable access shows with boring cadence, long awkward pauses, and all the other things that make for bad podcasting. I had to listen at double speed to make it through if I could make it through at all. (laughs) Then the first episode of the online chicken school played and my enthusiasm returned. I have since downloaded almost all of them and deleted the other chicken-related podcasts from my phone. As another commenter remarked, Don and Susie are like listening to your favorite morning show. I would highly recommend this podcast series to anyone interested in chickens. It's fun and entertaining and also very informative and definitely won't remind you of bad cable access banter. Save yourself the trouble and try this podcast before the others. Wow, that is quite a review. Yeah, that really boosted my spirits, I'll tell you. So, KB Rube, we thank you for those really nice words. Very much appreciated. Mm-hmm. Our second review this week comes from Mike Holiday, 22. He says, great info on raising backyard chickens. These two really love what they're doing, and it shows in their podcast. The information they give is easy to understand and will help any new backyard chicken farmer with his flock. Not sure what happened, but it doesn't seem to be <laughs> as regular as it used to be. Hope everything's all right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, as we talked about earlier, I think we finally have that all straightened out. And mm-hmm. I know we've said that about six times already this year, but. We are back on track, Mike. Never fear. Everything's all right. So KB Rube and Mike Holiday 22, thank you very much for those reviews. We really, really appreciate it. Okay, before we get to the main feature today, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping on Amazon this week, consider going to our website first at onlinechickenschool.com and clicking on the Amazon link over there. And it's going to take you to the same Amazon site that you know and love, and you're going to pay the exact same price for the things you buy, but Amazon will give us a little bit of a commission, and this would really help pay some of the podcasting bills. So if you like the show and you want to help us keep it going, just go to onlinechickenschool.com and click on the Amazon link to make all your Amazon purchases. Some of you are doing this on a regular basis, and we truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. There they go again. More shameless self-promotion. Okay, for the main feature today, we're going to try and figure out if I am a big biosecurity hypocrite. Dun, dun, dun. If you're a regular listener, you've noticed that there are many times in the past that we've talked about buying chickens. And one of the things we always talk about is getting them locally. Mm -hmm. We really prefer getting chickens locally if possible. 
but it requires a little bit of work. Right. Because there are so many people selling chickens out there from, I mean, real heavily established, serious chicken farms and breeders to the guy who just happened to hatch a couple over the weekend and is selling them on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have always suggested that when you go to buy chickens locally, you go to see them. You go to see the parents. Yeah, well, for one thing, you can find out if they're even the breed that the person claims they are. Right. We had that happen once when we went to go look at some chickens and the guy says, these are Rhode Island Reds. And we went in our heads, no, they aren't. (laughs) Yeah, because we weren't that well educated, but we did know that a true Rhode Island Red is supposed to be Red? (laughs) Yeah. Well, dark mahogany, you know, Mm -hmm. Rhode Island Reds are known for their dark, dark red color. Yes. And these were not that. These were your typical orange chicken. Right. And he kept insisting, yeah, I know they're Rhode Island Reds. And it's like, I I knew immediately what he had were what's called production Reds. And production Reds are birds you get from the big online hatcheries. And basically, they start with Rhode Island Reds and they kind of mix them with some other breeds to make them even more efficient layers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically what you end up with is this very good layer, but it's not really a heritage Rhode Island red. It's got a lot of Rhode Island red blood, mm-hmm. but it's orange. It doesn't have any of the confirmation of a Rhode Island red. Right. And you can tell right away by looking at it. Nope, that's not a Rhode Island red. And for most backyard chicken keepers, that would be a perfectly fine chicken. You know, it would lay really well unless you're going to be breeding or showing the chicken. That would be perfectly fine. But if you decide in your head, what I want is a silver-laced Wyandotte, Mm. you know, you can go to somebody and say, here, I'm selling this silver-laced Wyandotte, and you get there, and it's really like a black Ostralorp, and you're like, that's not (laughs) silver-laced at all. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it totally is. You're not going to be happy with that. That's true. You want it to be what you want it to be. The problem is, uh, sometimes when they're baby chicks, a lot of baby chick breeds tend to look exactly the same when they're chicks. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you only see the chicks, it can look like it's going to grow into that one, but you're going to get a surprise eight weeks later when the feathers aren't coming in quite right. Right. Absolutely. And that guy wasn't being dishonest either. No. In his head, he truly thought he had Rhode Island Reds. Well, that's probably what he was told. Exactly. Whether he was misled or he just, you know how it is, people sometimes hear what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. In his head, he wasn't being deceitful. He thought that's what they were, but he was wrong. He right. was just plain wrong. We had the same issue when we got our first batch of Delawares from the farm store. Yeah, and we're going to say Delawares in air quotes because they ended up being broiler chickens. Yeah, but looking at them as baby chicks, you would just never know. So that's why we are big proponents of going and seeing the parent stock if that's possible. Now, obviously, if you're going to order your chicks online, uh, that's not possible. You can't, you know, it's just not, it's not possible at all. But they tend, the big ones tend to have their act together. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when you have local breeders and hatcheries and you're going to go physically pick them out. Don't just drive up to the front door and they hand you a box of chicks and say, this is what you asked for. Ask to see the parent stock Mm -hmm. so that you get an idea of not only is this the right breed, but also it might be the right breed. But let's say that those are just not the best looking example of, say, barred rocks you've ever seen in your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Just because they're in the same breed doesn't mean they're all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you know, we have a batch of barred rocks that we really like. But if Susie takes half the birds and takes them in the front yard, and I take half the birds and I take them in the backyard, and she starts to mate together all the ones that grow the fastest. 
and I take my birds in the backyard and I mate together all the ones that lay the most eggs. Well, five years from now, you know, five generations of chickens later, our flocks are not going to look the same. Mm -hmm. Hers are going to be very big, beefy, barred rocks that are really more meat birds. Right. And mine are going to be real skinny things that lay a lot of eggs. They're both barred rocks, mm -hmm. but they've been bred differently and therefore they're, they're going to be differently. Well, how do you tell that is a baby chick? Right. You can't. I mean, look at all the ones we've gotten from the hatchery where they say they're a dual purpose bird, but really when you raise them up, they are much more slanted towards egg laying and they're more scrawny. Exactly. So the best way to sort of tell what are these barred rocks or these Rhode Island reds or whatever you want, what are they going to look like when they grow up is to look at the parent stock. So that's, a, that's the second reason we tell you to look. Now, the third reason is one of the things I think is the most important, which is you're able to see the conditions that they have been raised in. You know, you go to someone's place and it's all dirt and there's a million different kinds of chickens running around and the conditions are terrible and the food looks wet and moldy and the water's green. You know, there hasn't been a whole lot of care taken in raising these chickens and they may have some kind of disease you're going to bring back because the owners don't seem like they're all that concerned about the health and welfare of the chickens. And even if those birds aren't diseased and you're not bringing that home, you got to ask yourself, is that the kind of operation I want to support? Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's true. You know, technically, yes, those are Rhode Island Reds. That's what I'm looking for. But I don't want to support that guy. I might want to rescue those birds. <laughs> but if you do that, boy, you're just going to keep those people in business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there have been a lot of times when we're looking for chickens and it's like the, the chicks... And the chickens looked fine, but you walked away saying, I don't want to support this person because I just, I hate the way they're raising their chickens and I don't want to perpetuate that. Right. Absolutely. So that's why we always tell you to go look at the parent stock if you're going to buy locally. But if you listen to other podcast episodes, you know that another thing we talk a lot about is biosecurity. <laughs> and if you already have chickens... Don't go over to your neighbor's house who also has chickens and go playing in his chicken coop and then go back to yours. Don't go to a friend of yours and play with their chickens or don't go to a chicken farm and walk around through all the chicken poop and bring all that back to your yard because it's very, very easy to transfer diseases that way on your clothing, on your shoes, even up your nose mm -hmm. from one flock to another and you don't want that. So... You ask yourself, how do you reconcile these two ideals together when they really seem to be at absolute odds with each other? And this is something that Tim pointed out in an email that he sent us. That's right. Tim said, you mentioned about wanting people to see the parents of the birds before buying chicks. I disagree. What if I don't want to take someone to see my birds for biosecurity reasons? I usually don't let people come to my place for birds. That's a really good point, Tim. Right. So my dilemma is, <laughs> how can I spin this so that I'm not a giant hypocrite giving confusing <laughs> and conflicting instructions? Yeah, I'm anxious to see how you're going to pull this one off, too. Yeah, I, I don't know how, but I'm going to give it a try. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> well, first of all, Tim is absolutely right. In a well-run biosecurity-minded chicken breeding operation, you should not have visitors coming to look at all the parents physically, mm -hmm. walking through the coops, walking even around the yard. You don't have to be in the coop. 
right. just walking around the yard. Cause if I let the chickens out now, they're going to walk through the same area you did. Mm-hmm. And you know, the issue here you say, yeah, but I don't have chickens. Well, the breeder doesn't know that. And even if you don't have chickens, uh, I don't know that you didn't go to four other chicken farms before you came to me. And I don't know who those people are. Right. That's very, very true. And, you know, we've seen this around here because um, I'm trying to think of all the places we went to, not one ever had a biosecurity issue. Not one even asked the question, have you been to a chicken ranch recently? Do Mm -hmm. you own chickens yourself already? It's never been a concern. It's always been, yeah, come on over and we'll walk around and look at the chickens. We went to a couple different places and the one that was local where we got quite a few birds, I mean, we walked around inside his entire coop area where all of his breeding stock was. And I'm not talking about like five, six birds. He must have had, I don't know, 10 different breeds and several of each breed. I mean, if we had anything that we carried on us unknowingly into there, that could have been devastating for his flock. It's just a numbers game. How long can you keep rolling the dice before your number comes up? Right. All right, so let's talk a little bit about capitalism here. (laughs) There is always that tension between what I would want as a consumer and what I'd want as a breeder. As a consumer, I want to see the parent stock because I want to know what I'm buying. Right. That's what I want as a consumer. But we are also part-time, but we are also breeders. And I don't want anybody to come to my farm after they've been to eight other farms and bring all the dirt and chicken poo and feathers on their boots and shoes and up their nose and sneezing them on my chickens. Right. So as a breeder, my first concern is the biosecurity. So we have two competing interests in the marketplace. A breeder is just a business. Right. As the business, you have to meet the demands of the customer or your business isn't going to be very successful. (laughs) That's right. You're not going to have a lot of customers If you just say, hey, I'm selling chickens. What kind? None of your business. Right. Well, where do they come from? Don't ask me questions. Do you (laughs) want the chickens or not? Just take the chickens. Here, I got chickens in a box. I'll sell them to you right now. (laughs) Well, most people, I think, I'm going to have a little bit of faith here. Most people have the intelligence not to go for that deal. Right. Absolutely. The mystery chicken box. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, now the trick for the breeder is to find a way to satisfy that consumer about what they're buying And I think there's other ways they can actually do that without having people tromp all over your property. Yeah, I like where you're going with this. (laughs) This is making me sound less like a hypocrite. All right, well, let's give this one a try. Um, (laughs) We talked earlier about introducing some new blood into our barred rocks. And we found that farm a couple hours away that had beautiful looking barred rocks and the place had a really great reputation. And Don... Got some photos sent to him of the parent stock, of the place that they're being raised. Right. So I was able to see the parent stock, but I didn't have to actually be there. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to drive to Jacksonville to do that. Well, and it didn't look like stock photos. You know, you you can kind of tell when someone just put in a search of beautiful barred rocks on Google and saved that picture and went, here, here's what I've got. Obviously, the reputation is the important part. Some of that comes from doing a little research online and some of it comes from that conversation on the phone of just talking to them and getting the vibe from like are they trustworthy because if they're not trustworthy and you get that vibe like i think this person's lying to me Mm -hmm. well now what difference does it make where they got their pictures from right if they're just if they're not trustworthy 
I'm not going to do business with them. I don't I, suddenly the issue of, is that really a picture of them or not? doesn't matter. Cause if I don't think they're trustworthy, I'm not buying anything from them. Right. But you know, you develop that trust. Uh, after I saw the pictures, you know, exchanged a few emails back and forth. Then we got on the phone and we talk. It didn't take long. It took like 10 minutes. I just asked a few questions and you know, we'd emailed a couple of times. So got an idea of their program, how long they've been doing it, you know, what their operation is. And you know, I was comfortable in seeing the parent stock by the photos. That was enough for me. Right. So I was able to accomplish everything I wanted to accomplish. And without having to make the three and a half to four hour drive, which I liked. <laughs> exactly. So in those old episodes, we always say, you know, go see the parents because that is kind of what the norm is, at least around here. Because like I said, biosecurity with the breeders around here, sadly, is a joke. Mm hmm. But um, if I'm on the phone with somebody and I say, hey, I want to come see your chickens. And they say, listen, um, you know, we take biosecurity very seriously on our farm and we want to make sure that nobody brings any diseases into our property so that we can keep selling healthy chicks. Well, they automatically gained three points in my book. That's right. You know, people say, well, I can't believe they won't let me come see them. I, that's not my attitude. My attitude is, wow, I just took you a lot more seriously as a breeder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what we do here because we have such an unusual operation mm -hmm. because for one thing, we are not just a breeding operation. You know, when we talked in the last episode about, you know, kind of finding what our core was, getting back to like, what is the most important thing we do with our chickens? Well, breeding was not even in the top three. Right. You know, it actually was very low on the list of priorities. Our main purpose, the thing we enjoy the most, is educating people about chickens. Right. And it really requires that you have people here and wander around. So it's so much easier for people to understand when you talk about hardware cloth and snap locks and egg boxes and, you know, how our chicken tractors are set up by having them come over, walk around them and actually see what you did. And other than the podcast, the main way that we educate people is through our chicken classes. And I guess we could always, you know, rent a room somewhere and do what... Fire up the PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah. Do what every other place does with a chicken class and just bore everyone to death with, you know, reading slides. But that's not what we want to do. We don't think people get as much out of that. So to have a hands-on chicken class... And to be able to see all the things we want people to see, they have to come here. Yeah. And because we made a thing out of being a hands-on chicken class, they got to touch the chickens. Mm-hmm. Touch the chickens, walk around all the tractors. You know, it, it requires a lot of interaction with people at our place. So this really becomes a biosecurity nightmare for us. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when people sign up for the class, Susie hits them right away with the list of questions. You know, have, do you have chickens already? Mm -hmm. You know, have you been to a chicken farm in the last week? You know, have you been shopping around for chickens at farms? You have friends that have chickens. Have you been around their chickens? You know, there's a, the whole list that we go through. And if they say yes, it doesn't keep them from coming out. But if they say yes to any of those things, now Susie gives them a list of instructions. It's make sure, because usually you're more than a week out, mm -hmm. make sure for the entire week before the class, you do not go visit anybody else that has chickens. Right. Don't go to other farms. Don't go shopping for chicks. Just don't do it. If you have your own chicks, the morning of the class, 
We need you to go out, feed and water your chickens, let them out for the day, whatever your morning routine is, then go inside and take a shower, including shampooing your hair. And this is why Susie does the conversation because to have <laughs> some guy telling some lady to do her shower routine, that's just, that's kind of creepy. Uh-huh. So Susie does this talk, which makes me happy because I don't have to deal with the personal stuff. But get in there, do a shower, do a good job of it, check, because I'm going to check behind your ears when you get here. <laughs> and then when you get dressed after your shower, put on clothes that you never wear to go take care of your chickens and put on shoes that you never, ever wear to go take care of your chickens. Well, that's a lot for people to absorb. Mm-hmm. And if they do it right, we'll never have a problem. But let's face it, you have no way of knowing that they're doing what you ask them to do. You're it, taking it on faith that they're going to do it and do it right. And you can kind of tell a little bit over the phone when people are just blowing you off. So I try to really emphasize why we're doing this. And, you know, I say something like, I'm not going to go into all the reasons. You'll find those out at the class. But we take biosecurity very seriously. We care about our flock. We want them to be healthy. We sell baby chicks. And, you know, if you end up being a future customer, we want to make sure that we're giving you healthy chicks. And one of the ways we do that is by giving these instructions when we have people come over and blah, 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 blah. You know, this creates a a little bit of a headache for us because, again, we want to make sure that we're always selling clean baby chicks and we're not giving people diseased animals to start with. They may end up that way, but we want to make sure it wasn't because we delivered them to people that way. Mm -hmm. And so this creates an expense for us because now twice a year we we have to go have our animals tested. And if we didn't have visitors to the farm, we wouldn't have to do that. Right. Absolutely. We would, but I'd probably do it every two or three years, Mm -hmm. not twice a year. The reason we do it twice a year is because we have visitors come out here and if something, if one of our micro flocks does get something, I want to make sure that it's cut off pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is the chickens that we do use that people have access to are the same chickens all the time. You know what I mean? People don't, they have access to really two of our seven micro flocks. Right. It would be very difficult for them to contaminate the entire flock, <laughs> you know, to wipe us out completely. We are putting two of our micro flocks at risk, typically, mm-hmm. there are some chances you take in order to be able to conduct the business. And our business is the education side right. more than the breeding side. Now, we do appreciate Tim's email. I mean, even when people disagree with us or they challenge us on something, we appreciate that because it causes us to reevaluate and ask ourselves those same questions. Like, well, I don't know, does he have a point here? Is there anything we could do differently? And hey, if we're doing everything we can do, we can agree to disagree. No big deal. Well, yeah, that's a good point. And you know, the the internet age has brought about this whole idea that if you disagree with somebody, that you hate them mm-hmm. and you're a hater. It's like, I'm so tired of that mentality. You know, it's like every time you have any little disagreement or you don't buy somebody saying 100% that you're a hate monger and you know, whatever. It's mm-hmm. like, you know what? How did we become such pansies in this culture? It's like, you know, it was normal for people to disagree with each other and you move on. Nobody cares. It's like, okay, you got your opinion. I got mine. Hey, I know I'm right. I don't need to, (laughs) you know, whatever. You just, it's okay to disagree with people. You know, it used to be that if you, if someone that you didn't care about would throw an idea at you, you go, yeah, yeah, that's nice. You should go do that. Yeah, that ain't going to work. That guy's totally going to fall on his face. But if it was a friend of yours and they pitched an idea, the best thing you could do as a friend is start like attacking that idea like crazy and try poking holes in it 
because what you're doing is helping your friend figure out if it's a good idea or not. Right. If it's a good idea, it will withstand your attack, mm -hmm. you know, and if it's not a good idea or maybe it just needs to be modified a little bit, the only way you're going to figure that out is by testing it and challenging it. So as a good friend, you challenge it and say, oh, you know what? Yeah, maybe we need to modify that here or change that here. I think we've lost that because people are so sensitive to somebody disagreeing with them, but I believe in being respectful. That's right. You don't be a jerk. That was That's a big difference, I think, and that's a good point in the way things used to be done. Yes, you would try and poke holes in your friend's business plan or whatever to make sure that in the future they would be successful, but you'd do it in a respectful way. Right. Nowadays, it seems like when you say something contrary to someone else's opinion, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is really literally a hateful attack. So we don't mind being challenged. You want to challenge us, that's fine. You do it in a respectful way, we'll actually have a conversation about it. Yeah. And, you know, either you're going to learn something, we're going to learn something, or we're both going to learn something. Mm hmm Absolutely. All right. Well, as always, thank you for listening. If you like the show, consider going to iTunes and giving us a really nice rating over there. Also, tell a friend and get them listening. And if you want to see the show notes for this episode, go to onlinechickenschool.com slash the number 53. Well, that's all for today. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Online Chicken School podcast. Look for us on the web at onlinechickenschool.com.